Hello and welcome to Doing the Opposite, Business Disruptors. Today, I'm really excited to be introducing a good friend of mine, David Drake, who lives in Brazil. And David is going to tell us some of the um, incredible stories that he's endured during his journey. And on that note, hello, David. Oh, hello, Jeff. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. And I, I just want to say that um, I enjoyed your book very much. I have it here and I've read it once and I've gone back to it on uh, different parts of the book on different occasions and reread some uh, uh, pertinent chapters. So very interesting book. Great stuff. Thank you. And I appreciate that feedback. It's been amazing how much great feedback I've got. So I appreciate that, David. Let me hand over to you now and, and you can sort of do the talking because I'm really fascinated to hear what you've got to say today. So just sort of spend a couple of minutes sort of setting the scene. Who is David? Um, and then sort of take us through that journey. Okay, very good. Well, I am Irish through my father. I'm American because I'm American born. And I've lived in South America for most of my life. I'm 59 years old and I've lived in, in, in Brazil for 35 years. And uh, I had the opportunity when I was younger to have lived in Europe and to have lived in the United States. But I chose Brazil as the country where I would develop my my personal and professional life as an adult. It sounds fascinating because, as, as you know, I'm quite um, excited about the prospect of visiting Brazil. So, uh, um, again, it just enlightens that fascination I've got with, with your story. So, sort of take us through the, the journey of where something material has happened that's either been a game changer for you or you've done the opposite or anything that sort of formats the theme of, of the podcast. Okay, well, uh, like I said, having read your book, it was very interesting be uh, because I was really inspired by the, uh, what you said about your father and what he did when he was bringing you up as a young boy and what he did doing the opposite. And, and I reread that actually two times. That was one of the parts that I did go back to. What I understood is that he was doing the opposite because he was looking at the long, long term. He was looking at the big picture. And uh, that for him was doing the opposite. And I've also done that in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty conventional, conservative uh, person. I'm not speaking po politically. I'm just talking about my personal life. So you would think, well, David's not the type of person that's doing things the opposite or has not done things the opposite uh, during the course of his, his life. I mean, I, I don't make a, a point of doing everything the opposite all the time. However, I do have this long-term vision like your father had. And uh, in that sense, I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it's helped me in many different ways. And different ways that I've done the opposite is that, as I mentioned, I lived in Europe and I lived in the United States and I had the opportunity to live in both countries. I had you know, citizenship in those, both those regions of the world. But I chose to come to Brazil because, and this was doing the opposite, was because I saw Brazil as a, a land of the future, as a developing country where I felt that Europe and the United States, it was more stagnant. And at the time, friends, family uh, couldn't believe that I was choosing to leave opportunities that I had in North America and in Europe and, and coming down to South America. So I think as a young man, when I was in my early 20s, that was the first thing that I did, which would be doing the opposite. And it's 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 uh, it was a good decision for me because uh, 35 years in in uh, living in this country, I've been able to develop my family, my friends, my community, my reputation, 
my business. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have been able to do all those things in, in Europe and, and the United States, but it has been uh, fun and exciting to do them here. That's an interesting point as well, because, I mean, when you think about your family that would have said, oh, my God, what are you doing? And yet here you are 35 years later, having presumably little or no regrets. Um, and although you obviously chose to move into South America, you still stayed in contact with uh, the USA. I know you've recently taken your daughter over to university um, and you're obviously engaged with people like me in Europe. So you're still keeping very solid ties in those in those other countries. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I really respect and love uh, Europe and the United States. Uh, but I do feel that the opportunities for me are in South America and Brazil specifically. So in terms of your career, your business, um, uh, you obviously run a huge cleaning chemical manufacturing organization in Brazil. You know, what's happened during your career where you could actually put your finger on doing something um, materially different or doing it the opposite? That's an excellent question. <laughs> and uh, what, when I came here in the early 20s uh, and I was working, uh, I started working and the company I was with was a very, very small company and we had no structure. And I remember going to a presentation by a famous um, uh, economist uh, and he was also minister of uh, finance here in Brazil and he's currently a congressman and he said that Brazil should change their name it should not be called Brazil anymore it should be called Belinda and why did he think that it should be called Belinda because in his mind Belgium was a first world country so that's Belgium and India was a third world country so that would be India, but Linda. And uh, he said the informal economy was the India of Brazil was uh, much larger than the formal part of the economy. And I remember that a lot of companies would focus their business on the informal part of the economy. And I focused my efforts and my business on the formal part of the economy. And in that sense, I always crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's. And that came at a significant financial expense. It came at a significant effort to be able to do that because, you know, this is a very bureaucratic country. And, and so a lot of people say, would say to me, why would you want to do this? I mean, it's just going to cost you more heartache, more money. Uh, but I always thought of crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's and making sure you're in the formal economy. Uh, you have that, that foundation where the Belgian part of Brazil becomes stronger and stronger and the India part of Brazil becomes become smaller and smaller, I will automatically be in a position to grow uh, and take advantage of that because of the foundation. So that's, this was sort of doing the opposite because a lot of, of my um, contemporaries at the time uh, did not think that. They were thinking short term. You know, what can I do to make money now? What can I do to take advantage of the situation now? Well, like when you, what your father mentioned in his book, you know, what do I have to do to help Jeff become an adult 20 years from now? Uh, and, and not, you know, um, how do I react to the situation uh, immediately? And so, like I said, uh, I, I was very uh, inspired by that one chapter when you, meant, when you talked about your father. 
because I could see, I could see that long term. You approach, know, there's yeah, definitely yeah. definite lessons there. Of course, yeah. And again, that was what was uh, one of the things that drove me to to produce the book because it was a recognition, a realization how he truly did do the opposite to what everybody around him was doing. And uh, yeah, I found that fascinating as well. And I found it fascinating because he was thinking long term. He course. was thinking long term. But more importantly, it also explained. And help me understand why I do the things I do. Because I had no idea why I always behaved completely opposite to everybody else. And that helped me understand mm-hmm. it. So um, um, that's fantastic. So, David, the other thing that's the audience would be interested is sort of tell us a little bit about what you do and, and your business. And also your involvement in the trade association that, that you've been involved with for many, many years. Okay. Well, I work for a cleaning company. We make cleaning products. And as you can imagine, uh, with the pandemic at the start of you know March 2020, cleaning products became an essential item, and and so we had decisions to be made at that time in in uh, the end of March. And at the at the same time, I was president of the Brazilian Cleaning Association. So everybody was hunkering down when the pandemic began, and I did the opposite by working more. So like I mentioned, I'm 59 years old and I probably never worked so much in my life as I have uh, during this pandemic as of March. And, and and not only because of the company, I mean, we were, wor- uh, we, we, we were working uh, two shifts uh, before the pandemic. At, once the shift began, uh, the, uh, the pandemic uh, began, we went to three shifts. We invested a lot of money in the factory to increase productivity, to increase efficiencies. Nobody was was investing in, in, in those first few months of the pandemic. And we did quite a bit. We were hiring people. Of course, we put in all the necessary uh, safety protocols and, uh, and we were doing everything we could, but we were working around the clock. We were at the beginning, before we got all of our investments up and running, we were working seven days a week. So that was doing things different. Nobody else was working in April, May, June, July. And, and we never stopped. And then another thing that I did the opposite was the trade association. Our trade association, similarly, was very active during the whole period of the pandemic. We were developing all sorts of material on procedures, cleaning procedures for different areas, retirement communities, hospitals. Uh, we were doing lots of interviews. We were doing webinars. We did a virtual trade show, which nobody else did. No other sector did. And our sector had a virtual trade show, which we had over uh, 10,000 attendees. And, and uh, simultaneously with the trade show, we had a, a Congress. So that was very motivational for our market. It, it, it provided a lot of necessary information uh, for um, the whole s- community, services community, yeah. Not only community, but the, the whole channel, uh, the, the manufacturers, the distributors, the contract cleaners, and even the whole facilities market. And so we, we facility management market. So we did develop a, a relationship with Abrafaki. Our association, our cleaning association is called Abralimp, uh, the Brazilian Association for Cleaning. Uh, but we d- developed a relationship with Abrafaki, which is the Brazilian facility manager. Association and, and together we uh, had a trade show and so the facility management association was very interested about cleaning. As, as, you know, I, I don't want to uh, preach to the uh, to the choir. You being the choir uh, on the importance of you know facility management, but you know as you know you you've concentrated more on hard facilities and we concentrate more on on soft facilities. But the overall facility management association was very 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 interested in in soft facilities 
facilities yeah, because they wanted to get people back to work. So we've got a very good relationship with them as we, we move forward and we're trying to, to strengthen our relationship and uh, continue to develop new um, offerings in, our, in Aberlimp. You know, one of the things we want to do is like an ISO of, of cleaning. Another thing that we, we uh, you know, we want to do is continue to help the facility management uh, market become more virtual. Because I think, you know, one of the things that this, this pandemic has done is really uh, accelerated uh, change. I think the change was going to occur uh, uh, no matter if we had a pandemic or not, but if, if the change was going to occur over a 10-year period, now it's occurring over a two-year period. And so this whole acceleration is is uh, really impressive. And so one of the things that I think is, is happening is, you know, uh, our markets are becoming more virtual. You know, more people are, are, are working from home. More people are, are working off-site. Uh, we, everybody needs to increase efficiencies. Everybody needs to increase productivity because margins are getting tighter and tighter. I mean, well, you know, here we are uh, facing a situation where, you know, supply ma- uh, um, supplies are, uh, are, are difficult, the supply chains are, are, are stretched, and raw materials, products, everything is going up. And so the only way to deal with this is to increase efficiencies. And so I, I really do think that investing in technology as we move forward is going to be very, very important. And uh, a lot of these companies in, in our market are small companies, small, medium-sized companies. So a trade association really plays an important part in in, in uh, getting the message out on where the 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 future is 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 going, and, and not that the trade association knows exactly where the future is going, but they do have the resources to monitor everything and to rapidly communicate that knowledge, share yeah. that, and communicate yeah. that information mm. to the, our, our our market. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to um, see the there was quite a big press release, wasn't there, about the merger of the two or the collaboration of the two organisations which um, was fascinating to read, actually. And uh, and also, I was lucky enough through, you know, thank you to you for uh, being able to see that virtual trade show, because that was that was quite special. Um, and to see to see how how successful something like that could be, because most people would just write it off and say, no, that that just won't work. Yet it looked a spectacular success. Yes. And, you know, I think one of the things that we'll see in the future is say, well, okay, all trade shows are going to go virtual. That's not that's not the case. People like to do business with people. People like to see people. They like to meet people. And a trade show whereby people are actually on, on the floor communicating is fantastic. But what I do think is that it'll be a hybrid situation whereby, well, you will have a trade show, an in-person trade show, but then you'll have that virtual component where you know there'll be people who who can't go uh, for whatever reason, or you'll you'll have people who um, maybe their company um, will are not investing in everybody to to actually travel to visit that trade show, and so you know having that virtual component is very important. And another factor is that you know international travel and even domestic travel has gotten more and more expensive. Well, plus also there's the awareness, the general the general awareness of people saying, "Do we need to travel? Look at the damage we're causing by traveling." So you've got a behavioral change as well. 
you mentioned that in the book. Mm. Uh, you, it, one of the things I really liked about your book, which I've never actually seen before, and I re- I do a lot of reading. I have a like I've mentioned to you once. Mm. I have a book collection, yeah. and uh, one of the interesting things about your book was you know how at each chapter you would talk about the past, and then at the very end of the chapter you would move to the present, mm. which you know what you were doing in the pandemic, what the pandemic meant, and you know at one of the chapters you know you, you do mention that. Mm. As you know, I do I do some keynote speaking, and, and one of the things that a lot of people say to me, I've had a question asked when it gets to Q and A, and they say, "You talk a lot about the future, Jeff. So tell me, what 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 do you think the future holds for us?" Um, and I then respond, and it comes across quite arrogant, although it's not intended to be. And I say, um, "That's the easiest question I've ever been asked," uh, and I then create a bit of a pause, so everyone's wondering what I'm going to say. Um, and I said, the answer is this, what do you want the future to be? Because what you want it to be is what it will become. Um, it's not something that happens to you. It's something you create. So essentially, it comes back to what is you know the most important thing to you, the people, the community, the planet, the country, whatever, whatever it is, that's the future you will forge. And um, uh, and therefore, you know, that's the thing about entrepreneurs. It's the thing about um, uh, great leadership. And that is, you know, the leadership for me culture is changing before leadership and entrepreneurialism was all about making money for the benefit of making money now i'm i'm seeing a major accelerated shift um about the change of the question is not what can you do for me it's what can i do for you that's the leadership challenge and um and it's now very much focused on on the environment is very much focused on the future of our children grandchildren and great-grandchildren it's focused on community and and how do we make this a better world rather than how much money can we earn to then decide what we do so it's for me i've seen a massive massive culture shift from a leadership perspective um and an entrepreneurial perspective which i i've found quite i find quite energizing but uh, we'll see how it folds but of course as you quite rightly say um david the pandemic has created a reset it's created a rethink it's made everybody reflect and think you know, what is it that really matters? And um, and I think this happens throughout, you know, the spine of humanity. And um, and I think it only leaves good things to come. And as you say, I think the acceleration we've seen in technology and, and um, but more importantly, behaviour. They say that um, the future that we will find ourselves in, in the next 5, 10, 15 years is about, you know, people that will be doing jobs that currently don't exist. You know, 55% will be about people and doing different roles. Only 25, 30% will be driven by technology. And that's all about behavior. Um, and of course, one thing, and I feel like I'm rabbiting on now, but one thing that is quite interesting to me as a subject is that when you look about, uh, look around at what you think the future may um, or, or may not be, it's, it's about how we as individuals behave and the freedom that we are now given, or certainly in lots of areas we're given, and I think it will accelerate, where we decide how we decide to produce, produce output, rather than someone saying, you sit at that desk at eight o'clock and you leave at five o'clock and I'm hoping you'll give me a great output from those two, between those two times. And I think when you let people do it their way, we're seeing productivity go through the roof, yet people's stress levels are, are, are dropping and dropping and dropping. And, and that's what I find fascinating. Very good. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, the only thing I would add is that you know, you, you really, as you see the, as you look into the future and you decide what do you want it to be, 
you have to really focus on what you can control. And so, yeah, I, w- I would like like it to be perfect where there's no poverty and no illness, but I can't control those things. So I'm not going to be focusing on something that I can't control. I would like to uh, uh, focus on that future, on things that I can control uh, or I can have an impact. Okay, I don't want to use that word control you can influence, yeah. I, I, yeah. I can influence. Mm. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so I think that helps me to be more of an of effective leader. Of course. And it's also about purpose, right? It's your personal vision, your personal purpose, the yeah. reason you're here and mm-hmm. all the things that you can do. All right, David, listen, that's, that's fantastic. So I'm going to now ask you a couple of questions. Okay. So the first question, and, and you can only give one example. You can't go off on a diatribe on this, right? So... Um, <laughs> If, if, if I asked you this one question, what would your answer be? What would you say you are most grateful for? Most grateful for? I'm most grateful for my family, no doubt about that. I'm grateful to be able to be in a position to be able to provide for my family. I'm grateful for the opportunity to see them grow in their different ways I might not always agree with the way they're growing, (laughs) but I'm grateful for the opportunity to see that growth. And I'm also grateful, uh, you know, when I say family, obviously you say, well, he's talking about his wife and his two children. Uh, And then I'll uh, say, yes, that's my principal family, but then it extends, you know, it's my, my uh, extended family Mm. that I'm related to. It's my, it's my family that I'm not related to, uh, my friends, it's, it's my family here at work. Mm. Uh, and it just keeps going. It's, it's my family that I've had the opportunity to meet, uh, in, uh, informal situations and formal situations like Vistage. Mm. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's just fun. Uh, I, I'm grateful for, for all that. Mm. I'm grateful to, to, yeah, it's great. to be able great to, 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 yeah. to, to be a positive influence as much as possible mm. to this family. That's a great answer. Um, and of course, it, and it pivots around people again, right? That's just the one thing yeah. that always seems to come right through at the center is people. Okay, here's your second question. If you had to give one message to the audience of this podcast, what would that one message be based upon your experience in life and career? What one message would you want to give out to this audience? Well, I would say I want to be relevant. They say that a person never dies if they're always remembered. And I do want to be remembered that I, I help those around me to, to thrive. And, and so in that sense, I, I, I think it's important to be relevant. And the only way to be relevant is to really focus on what you can control and create an environment for, for those around you to thrive. Yeah, great. Great message. Fantastic message. Well, listen, David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this afternoon. We get to meet up again in the next couple of weeks anyway, which I always look forward to. And, um, and thank you so much for your time today and your incredible um, experiences, which have been fantastic. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay, thank you so much, Jeff. All the best to you and good luck.